0: Welcome to Let Us Reason, a
1: Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi.
2: Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderful week. And uh, I'm so excited uh, to uh, just... uh, Uh, Let you know that uh, we are approaching the end of our second year. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your prayer, for your support. And uh, we will do probably one or two shows that are special just to kind of highlight some of the things we've done in the last two years. So once again, we thank you for your faithfulness and sticking around with us. And we pray that this show will continue for as long as the Lord wills. And you can always go and listen to our archive at SoundCloud.com and Google or search for Let Us Reason, another way An easier way is to go to my website, International.com. That's C-I-R-A, C as in Charlie, I, R as in Romeo, A as in Apple, International. One word, International.com, and go there to the Let Us Reason section on the website, and you can uh, listen to all of the archive shows up to date. Today, we have another exciting episode with our dear brother, Vocab Malone, who is also the host of the Urban Theologian Radio, and uh, today we're we'll going to talk about a topic that probably I doubt many of you have heard of. In fact, I myself um, was actually uh, surprised when I heard it for the first time, And that, if that tells you anything, that uh, despite the fact that I try to be on top of everything, theologically speaking and apologetically speaking, this is a topic that was a little bit, um, you know, uh, uh, strange for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to mm-hmm. let the expert here, Vokap, talk about it. Vokop, tell us, first of all, uh, about your academic work right now. Well, uh,
1: I have a degree from Phoenix Seminary, a Master of Arts degree, and then I had to do some further work to get what's called an MDiv equivalency so I could get into a DMIN program, a doctorate of ministry. So currently I'm a student at Talbot in the DMIN program, and the track I'm on is called Engaging Mind and Culture. So the idea is issues in your cultural context that you deal with in ministry— And you're supposed to come up with some solutions to them. So being in downtown involved with the city like that, something I kept on seeing pop up was this brand new movement called the Hebrew Israelites. Sometimes people know them as the black Hebrew Israelites. They don't like that term. They view it as racist, actually. It's kind of a long story why that is. But I just call them Hebrew Israelites, and uh, they're mainly black, brown folks, so-called. They call them, they say so-called. Uh, black Americans, Native Americans, and Hispanics—those are the main people that make it up.
2: So you see now why I'm telling you. I doubt many of you have heard of. Uh, in fact, I will not be surprised if none of you have heard of. Of course, I would like you for you to always uh, email us and uh, and tell us if you came across uh, uh, such a movement uh, in your uh, basically uh, prospective areas. Uh, you can always reach out to us at Sierra Ministries uh, at gmail dot com. Uh, Sierra Ministries at gmail dot com. Now. Tell us a little bit, uh, Vokab, about uh, this movement. When was it founded, and who founded it?
1: Well, there's sort of the first wave that's only mildly relevant to a current discussion on this religious movement, right after the Civil War, mainly. And so you had all kinds of movement happening, Reconstruction, that's the period of American history, it's sometimes called, uh, when um, the idea was the Union was supposed to be brought back together And black Americans who were prior, right before that, slaves, supposed to get their rights. Well, they started moving around, such as folks from the South would go to Chicago. Uh, They started meeting new types of people, such as Jews in New York. Well, all this brought together a different type of awareness. And all of a sudden, after the Civil War, right around then, early 1900s, stretching into that era. So you have people having visions and different revelations that show them. They're usually like black Pentecostal pastors or something like that. Um, uh, from the holiness tradition, either right before it or right around the 1900s, they would basically say this. We've realized that the folks who were descendants of slaves in the United States of America are the true lost tribes of Israel. That's the, the vision they would come to back then.
2: Now, which tribe are they referring to?
1: So if you're black, you're Judah. But if you're Puerto Rican, it's a different tribe. So they have something called the 12 tribes chart where for every ethnicity, so Native Americans are Gad, Mexicans are Issachar, so different ones. In the beginning, it was just the true Israelites. There was no distinction. But then the second wave, maybe third wave, depends on how you classify it, but the heirs to the modern, or the progenitors, I'm sorry, rather, to the modern movement began in the 60s in Harlem.
2: Now, what happened to those who are not black or brown?
1: Well, different Hebrew Israelites have different answers to that. But most of them say, if you're a so-called white man, they call them Edomites, which is historically inaccurate, not true, but they call white people Edomites, descendants of Esau, they're destined to be servants in the new kingdom for eternity. So are Ishmaelites, so that would be people they view as Arabs. So are East Indians, so are Asians, all those people groups are destined to be servants in the New Kingdom. They don't qualify as part of the tribes
2: of Israel. Now, do they have, uh, I mean, you mentioned Chicago. Does that mean Chicago is their headquarters, or are they scattered all over?
1: Well, there's no centralized authority with these guys. Back in the day, in the 60s and 70s, 80s, and even in the early 90s, there was. And it was out of Harlem, New York. And uh, their address started with One West. And so sometimes you call them One Wester's. But there used to be a centralized authority. They were much more... um, Uh, together in their doctrine and practice and all that. But as they grew, there's a lot of fights, and they splintered out and all that. So now there's places all over. And the Harlem Hebrew Israelites, or the Harlem-based, or ones who come out of that Harlem school of thought, they're a little bit different than the ones that do come out of Chicago. The ones that come out of Chicago, generally speaking, such as a group called the Israel of God, they're a little more mainstream Christian church or mainstream Judaism. So there's some Hebrew Israelites that accept the New Testament, some that don't. So the Chicago groups, generally speaking, are a little better. The ones who are influenced by the New York schools are generally, um, they can be pretty vile and nasty when they do their street preaching. They can be pretty uh, in your face when they do their street preaching.
2: And and We'll get there. This tells me, by the way, everything you're talking so far, that that it seems like not only there isn't a Unified uh, uh you know authority, but there isn't a unified source of uh, uh, if you wish like a Bible or something like that so uh how many you think today are followers of this movement
1: well uh it's hard to get any kind of numbers i'll give you some numbers I do have there's three to five thousand of a group called the African Hebrew Israelites of Jerusalem living in Demona, Israel. They left South side of Chicago in the late sixties. And ended up in Demona. And they're basically Israeli citizens now. So they're not viewed as dangerous by the Israeli government. They're simply a polygamous vegan cult. Yes, they're polygamous and they're vegans. Both of those things are true. Uh, and they live there in Israel. So there's three to 5,000, but they don't keep birth records. But that's just one sect of this larger movement. Then they're not really as influential in the United States. Well, the two biggest camps I know of are called Israel United in Christ and another one called Gathering of Christ Church. Those two, GOCC and IUIC, may be pushing upwards of 3,000. But then the other smaller camps are just numerous and smaller and no one really knows. And then the older school camps, like I mentioned, Israel of God out of Chicago and some of the other ones that come out of that original Civil War, post-Civil War revelation, those groups, they're smaller, they're not growing. Uh, well, what I mean is they're smaller in the sense of they're not growing, but they're, they've been around longer, so, so they might have bigger numbers, but no one really can get a handle on their numbers. So if we had to really guess, we might make it, Less than a nation of Islam, which is you know Farrakhan's thing, but maybe it's going to get to that point. So I would guess if I had to t- max 20,000 in the United States right now, but that's a max guess. I bet it's closer to uh, 15, 10, but I think it'll push up to 20. I think I could see them maxing out at 50 to a hundred thousand globally. Uh, United States. Uh, There might be some more because there's sex in the U.K. beginning more and more. And there's a great appeal for these groups in the West Indies, Jamaica, Haiti, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, because they they believe those are part of the scattered tribes, and so they make pushes there. Those camps, that's what they call them, camps, tend to be a little smaller, but they are there. So it is global in a way, but it's very American-based because they view America as the new Egypt because they think they're in slavery. Got it. And so it's very Amerocentric. It's something that really I think had only come out of the United States
2: of America so almost like a, a repeat of the Exodus uh, basically.
1: yes, in fulfillment they would say with deuteronomy 28.68. which reads uh, well, let me see I'm going tr- um, if you go through Deuteronomy, what it is is it's the lists of the covenant curses and blessings that will happen to Israel got
2: it you know so I'm b- by the way, folks, this is the fifth book of Moses um, in the Old Testament.
1: Yes, and the last verse reads this, "...the Lord will send you back in galleys to Egypt, to the region I told you that you were never to see again. And there you offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer." And so uh, that has to do with they believe that the transatlantic slave trade is a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28. So basically the
2: Lord is saying a curse for you, you'll go to the world, and uh, you will be enslaved again unless if you're willing to uh, obey my commandments. And here they're saying uh, this is fulfilled by way of being slaves in the U.S. So exclusively they're considering themselves to be the fulfillment of this, not like the people of God in general.
1: No, and they also believe that the people in Israel uh, the people that we would refer to as Jews, even in the United States, they believe that they're frauds, they're phonies.
2: So what's their view on someone like Paul, for instance, and the apostles?
1: Well, different sects have different views of Paul, but by and large, they would say Paul was a rabbi who embraced the Messiah and taught the truth, but Christians misunderstand him. In what sense? Um, they think Paul is teaching freedom from the law, and that um, you don't have to keep the law anymore. Something like that. They would, but they say that's not what Paul is teaching. Christians misunderstand him, and that's why they run to
2: him. In general, what are their practices? By the way, I mean, if you want to summarize their practices,
1: well, they try to, in the in their own way, hold up some of the uh, the feast days, Shabbat, Passover. A Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Weeks, the Blowing Horn, Day of Atonement, Feast of Booth, the Solemn Assembly. They try to keep some of those, but they mishmash how they do it. They take some of the biblical data—honestly, they take some customs influenced by people they say are frauds, modern-day Jews, and then they add some of their own into it as well.
2: Where do they get, for instance, if they, for anything they add or even anything they start with, where is the— starting point for that. Is it the Old Testament? Is it uh, different writings? They
1: do believe in the Bible as the Word of God, they say. Uh, The ones I mainly meet are Old and New Testament believers. There's groups of them that are only Old Testament believers, but most of them are. And so they say that's where they start, but um, they interpret the New Testament in light of the Old in an extreme fashion, meaning they don't really look at at scripture through a christocentric lens like i believe the new testament writers themselves show us that you should and even jesus i believe view the old testament through the christocentric lens these all speak of me he says that type of thing they really take the old testament and force it upon the new and almost act as like the new didn't change anything it's just like a continuation uh jesus is just simply a rabbi teaching you how to follow the law more than the complete fulfillment of it. They might give lip service to that idea, but they they really diminish the personal work of Christ. So they don't hold to his deity. Uh, they don't hold to the, the final satisfaction offered there on the cross and those types of things. So uh, the problem's not just, well, it's weird that you think you're ethnically Israel or it's weird that you uh, want to keep this custom. It's how is a person saved and who is Jesus? And guess what? You guys get those answers wrong. So that's a problem.
2: So they're still waiting for
1: the Messiah. No, the ones that believe in the New Testament do believe Jesus is the Messiah. They just don't believe He's God. So um, <laughs> it get, get, gets confusing because there's
2: so many different kinds of them. Who is He then? Um, they would Other s- than a prophet, of course.
1: Well, he—he's. They like to talk to him, talk about him as a rabbi, of course. That—that's a key thing they li- they like to to emphasize is is that aspect of of who he is. Um, they would just say he's, a, he's kind of like Paul in that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, and Christians don't understand that. Of course, you know really what they emphasize here? Here's a better way to put it. You want to know what they really emphasize when it comes to Jesus Christ? They emphasize the fact that he was a black man. I'm not saying that I, I agree with that, but I'm telling you that's what they say. Revelation one eight is what they're all about. I believe that's the verse. It might be one 9 i I'd have to uh, grip it right now, but it's a verse where it talks about when Christ comes back, and how he, he has um, hair that is white like wool or white as wool, right? You know what I'm talking right. about? Right. What they say with that is, who's the only people on the earth who have wooly hair? Mm. The black man. I see. Uh, they'll say, look, his feet were burnt, uh, like burnt uh, bronze or burnt brass. And they'll say, what color is something when you burn it? The answer is you know, supposed to be black. And they'll say, well, are your feet different than the rest of your body? Well, no, so he was a black man.
2: Yeah, it's An I emphasis on whiteness, uh, probably uh, to them, is another uh, uh, cue uh, to the fact that uh, his body is dark. Yeah, and well, they say, we know he's brown. You know, he came from the Middle East. Yeah, they uh, to them,
1: generally speaking, that's not good enough. You know, they, they want you to, to. I'm trying to look for a. I got one of their books. It's called the Hebrews Like Manifesto. I'm trying to look for this uh, one of their pictures where they picture how they have Jesus. They'll picture him very dark skin with a kind of a white afro. Uh, here's one picture so you know and the thing yeah, yeah. is uh, we're not really that's not really a big deal in a way because you know we don't really think jesus looks like a white nordic guy either but yeah there's a bunch of depictions of him that and we don't think that's really a good thing but they uh emphasize his what they view as his blackness or skin color and much more than his deity because they don't believe he is deity or really what he accomplished on the cross You know, which so there's a wrong emphasis there.
2: So, vocab, uh, if uh, do they emphasize the uh that you have to learn the uh Hebrew or Old Testament for instance?
1: Well, they believe that modern day Hebrew, most of them, not all the groups, but most of the groups believe that modern day Hebrew is actually Yiddish. So, modern day Hebrew, like the kind you took at seminary, they would say that that's uh fake, that's uh influenced by German. And and other languages that are pagan languages. So they believe you have to go back to the Paleo-Hebrew, the Hebrew before the Hebrew, and then figure out how that's pronounced. And so they have their own pronunciations based upon their guesswork of the vocalizations of Paleo-Hebrew.
2: So... Um, another question, if we look at the um, uh, the different Jewish uh, leaders' groups or teachers mm-hmm, at the mm-hmm. time of Christ, you have Pharisees, you have Sadducees, you have uh, scribes or lawyers. I mean, do they fit any of these categories, or are they all over the board? Well, um,
1: you know, the best thing I would put them in, the best category would be the Judaizers of Galatians. So if you read the book of Galatians... You'll notice that there's folks in there who say they accept Christ as Messiah, but then they want to force Jewish custom upon Gentile believers and say that if you don't, you're not really part of the people of God. Paul comes against that. Clearly, the Scripture comes against that.
2: Well, I guess uh, you know um, uh, Galatians three one uh, is not nice, right? You know, uh, you foolish Galatians.
1: Yeah. So they they think again that we misunderstand. That Christians misunderstand Galatians and when you start to get into sort of an interpretive war with them if you want to put it that way uh, when they get really upset or angry they may even say something like this now they don't all say this but they'll say one of two things a lot of times that's not your book so it's not given to you to understand it because you're not an Israelite. Oh you sound like a Muslim right now. I'm, I'm just that's what they, that's really what they say. There are some similarities to be sure, to be sure, although they do
2: not like Muslims, they do not like Muslims. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> All right. well, uh, you know, that cleared uh, the uh, uh, the mud for us.
1: And then they'll also say, not only is it not your book not given to you to understand, but they also might say, uh, this is why Gentiles shouldn't even teach the Bible in any way. You're trying to teach an Israelite, me, and you're a Gentile. You don't even have any business teaching me anything.
2: Gentiles can't teach. That's really an easy argument, right? You know, uh, when uh, when in doubt, uh, just uh, use this kind of argument and just get out of it. Yep. Okay, so what is their view on God?
1: They um, think that the Trinity is a pagan doctrine. You've heard this before. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, thirty three years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so um, the other day, I was watching a video, and I did an interview with an ex Hebrew Israelite who has come out of this movement, and God has saved him. He was in it for seven years, and he was what's called a camp officer. So he started a local chapter there in Virginia. Is interviewing him day after a Hebrew Israelite current practitioner makes a response video, and in it he rails the rails against this brother whose name is Marcus, and says. You're telling me you went back to believing in the Trinity doctrine? You now believe God's a Trinity again? That's what you're doing with your Christianity? You knew the truth, and you're going back to this, this pagan God? So uh, that's one view of how they have God. And they also um, do not believe God is a God of love for all kinds of people across the world. In fact, there's some of these groups, if you say, what you're saying is racist, or what you're saying is prejudiced, or what you're saying is bigoted, they'll say, uh-huh, and God is a racist you say, what do you mean? Turn to Romans 9. Doesn't it say that Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated? And you'll say, what's the relevance to that to your position? Well, who is Edom? Who is it? That's the so-called white man. What do you mean he's white? Well, he came out red and hairy. Who's red and hairy? Have you seen a white person with a sunburn? Aren't they all hairy, those white people? So that's Esau. That's Edomites. And then Jacob, his skin was smooth. Black people have smooth skin. So Jacob and Esau, who does he love? Who does he hate? Not Edom. In fact, haven't you read the book of Obadiah? It's all against Edom. And who is modern-day Edom? White people.
2: Well, that's interesting. (laughs) Uh, We already talked about Jesus. Anything else uh, you'd like to add related to their position on Christ? For instance, uh, uh, what about the title, the Messiah or the virgin birth or anything like that?
1: A lot of them deny the virgin birth. Anybody want to guess why? Hmm. I wonder why. Well... Because they would say to truly be an Israelite has to come through your father's side, okay? Not through the woman. So a lot of these groups say someone like Bob Marley. Everybody know who Bob Marley is? I shot the sheriff, right? Yep. He's not an Israelite. Why not? His father was Caucasian. He was a soldier. Got Got a black woman pregnant. So Bob Marley to them is an Edomite because his dad was white. So if you meet one of these guys on the street, they'll say, what's your nationality? Well, on your mother's or your father's side. Mm. Well, with Jesus Christ, if he's born of a virgin, he doesn't have any DNA, as it were, from Joseph. So by their standards, he's not really an Israelite. So one of their great teachers even said the book of Luke was a lie, that Luke just got it wrong. Mm. and so they do away with the virgin conception. However, some of the groups, such as Gathering of Christ Church that I mentioned earlier, and some of the other groups do accept the virgin birth. They're in the minority, but there's a small amount that say, no, it's in the Scripture, so you've got to believe it. But uh, most of the groups deny the virgin birth.
2: Well, the reason why I'm going through all of this because hopefully if we end up doing another part, I would like for us to figure out ways to respond to some of these, shall I say, bogus claims, what about salvation? Well, first of
1: all, salvation is for who? The Jews. Okay. Who were the Jews? That's the modern, that, those are the Israelites. Who were the Israelites? Black and brown people in the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. So salvation is not for the Gentiles. All right. So first, for, that's first of all. you got to get that. They mock Christians as people that say, God loves everybody, and God wants everybody to be saved. They think that's an idea that you should mock. They think it's ridiculous. So that's one thing about salvation. It's not even for the other nations. That's how they view groups of people. They call them other nations.
2: Uh, so it's not for them. So am I saved by calling the name of Christ, or am I saved only by calling upon his name in Hebrew?
1: A lot of them do emphasize that you've got to get his name right. Uh, some of them call him Yeshaya, But the thing is that um, they don't even pronounce it right themselves because they made up their own Hebrew dialect. Uh, they don't even have, but, so that's kind of weird. They don't, most of them don't like Yeshua. Some yeah, of them do. They
2: call it Yahshua, right?
1: Uh, no, if they if they called him that, that'd be an improvement. They have these other alternate Vocalizations that aren't even real Hebrew. But regardless of what the case is, some of them say you can't be saved unless you do pronounce the name right. They'll say, you know, there's only one name given under heaven by which men can be saved, Acts 4.12, and they'll say, so you've got to get the name
2: right because of that. So you do need to do that. But really, they're into law-keeping. So what about John 3.16? I mean, do they believe he is the only begotten son?
1: They would say, similar to Jehovah's Witness, that he's the first created being, That's the way he's a son of God. He's created.
2: Well, you know, Vocab, this is very interesting. And we still have much more to go with this uh, particular movement. And maybe uh, um, if you can accept my invitation for next week, we can continue this dialogue. And we will learn a, a thing or two about how to answer some of those well, hopefully, if you're listening to us, uh, you've enjoyed th- this uh, rather unique topic. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, this is something that caught my attention, and uh, Vocab is a dear brother, and I, uh, since he's focusing his research on this, I wanted all of us to get a benefit of that. So thank you, Vokab, for joining us. And uh, we pray that the Lord will bless you today, and um, you can always go and listen to this episode and any uh, episodes from the past that are archived on our website, sirainternational.com or soundcloud.com let us reason until we meet again lord bless you